0: Hello and welcome to this podcast for CPD online. My name is Jennifer Powell. I'm a higher trainee in general adult psychiatry and I'm also the trainee editor. So today I'm talking with Dr. Mano Manoharan and Dr. Liz Rose and we're going to be talking about the impact of COVID-19 on maternal mental health. So um, welcome and thanks both of you for joining today. Thank you, Jim. Uh, do you want to start by introducing yourselves and just explaining a little bit about your background? Maybe
1: Mano, do you want to start? Yes. So I'm I'm Dr. Mano Manoharan. I'm a consultant perinatal psychiatrist in South London and mostly NHS trust. Uh, I also have a varied research and teaching interest. I am currently a principal investigator for uh, Shaper Study, which is a perinatal study looking into health or intervention in uh, NHS. And you have a role in the college as a faculty member in our uh, perinatal faculty in Royal College. Thanks, Mano, and Liz.
2: Hi, so I'm Dr. Liz Rose. I'm um, an ST6 in the Maudsley Higher Training Programme. I'm actually currently acting up as a consultant on psychiatric intensive care unit for women at the Maudsley Hospital. Um, and I spent a year working with uh, Mano in the South. London um, Lewisham perinatal service, Um, so that was a community perinatal team. Um, And I'm going to be working in the mother and baby unit from next month, and thereafter, I hope to pursue a career as a perinatal consultant.
0: Thanks, Liz. And um, to both of you, really, what, what was it that led you to become interested in
1: this topic? Yes, so as I said, like, you know, I've been a perinatal consultant for like seven years, and the pandemic last year had a massive impact, you know, it was so sudden and caused a lot of changes to the service provision and also mental health of people We treat deteriorated. So we were quite interested and at that time, this was my, you know, working as my specialist registrar in my team and we were quite interested in the changes that happened within the service, within the team and how, you know, uh, difficult it was for pregnant women and the presentation. So uh, thought it would be useful to do a kind of a paper to raise awareness, That was one. And also like at that time, some of my colleagues were uh, doing this research on neuro-COVID, like neurological manifestation of COVID, which was published in Lancet recently for which I contributed a case history. So that was a starting point that made me kind of think together about various cases that had a different presentation around this period.
0: Thanks, and Liz, anything to add?
2: Yeah, uh, just to say, as, as Manu mentioned, um, at the time the pandemic kicked off, um, we were working together in the New Ocean team and anecdotally, um, there were often conversations in our uh, team meetings around some, you know, the difficulties, um, in having to transition to a virtual environment, the impact of that on the patients and anxiety in patients and staff that was provoked. And little by little, we we started to realise the impact of this was really huge. And going forward, it's likely that it would last a long time. So we thought it would be helpful to start to gather our thoughts. And that was the beginning of um, what was our paper, which was re- recently published, looking at the impact of COVID-19 on maternal
0: mental health. Thanks, Liz. So I'll, I'll just kick off with some more questions about the topic. Uh, I wondered if you wanted to tell us a little bit about the effect of the pandemic you've seen on women prior to conception?
2: Yeah, so um we talk quite a lot about this in the paper. Um I suppose generally speaking, first um we were thinking a lot about how uh the social conditions of a pandemic might affect fertility rates in general. Um thinking about barriers to accessing contraception for women and abortion services and also the effect of obviously cohabiting couples spending increased time together, including sort of an increase in unplanned pregnancies potentially, um, which we know are a risk factor for maternal mental ill health. On the other hand, we acknowledge that women planning a pregnancy may also be concerned about the levels of uncertainty and anxiety around infection and the stress of that and whether that might cause some women potentially to delay attempts to conceive. As we um, were assessing women, um, we did obviously do preconception assessments, but also women known to the service with pre-existing health, uh, mental health conditions, who would come to us with some of these anxieties, um, particularly in women with severe mental illness, where we were having to make decisions around their medication to keep them well, Obviously, the impact of the pandemic on those decisions, the impact of those who are having assisted conception with the shutting of fertility clinics. Um, and these anxieties and uncertainties continue. In um, particular, we had one woman with a history of generalised anxiety disorder and she had an acute deterioration in mental health um, following interpersonal difficulties with her partner after he changed his mind about a second baby. And we saw, you know, cases like this uh, time and again um, where that sense of um, hopelessness around the uncertainty started to really impact on, on our lady's mental health. More worryingly and significantly, there's also been, you know, now uh, published evidence that there's been a huge rise in domestic violence globally. And so that was something else that we had to think about in terms of, um, screening for that and finally sort of lockdown and other social distancing measures um, has made victims of that much more vulnerable so all of these things were sort of playing into when we were assessing women um, and I could go on there are many other sort of effects of the pandemic prior to conception that that we started to notice in our work
0: day to day and you mentioned there quite a few sort of factors that might have impacted on people's relationships in general. Manu, I, w- I wondered
1: if he had anything to add on that point. Yeah, yes, absolutely. As Liz has mentioned, I think one of the main thing is about domestic violence. So people who are already in those kind of situations, like abusive partners, it, it, it is a nightmare to be logged in with the person who abuse. like, you know, that also adds on to your loss of control and feeling of helplessness. So, you know, if you see, there's been a lot of research evidence, even the charity organizations like Solis, Women's Aid, publishing evidence that there's been an increase in domestic violence, even homicide during this whole pandemic. So that was one of the main challenge to look into, especially we working with women. It's one of our duty to kind of protect these women and also children, you know, in those kind of abusive scenario. And uh, I think the substance misuse would have increased, like, you know, people who had that, especially in the initial stages of lockdown, where most of shops and pubs were closed. So where were these people who were addicted to drinks and drugs? Did they have access to that or did they have withdrawal symptoms? And that could have You know, indirectly have an, directly have an impact on their relationship. And perinatal, it's all about relationship. You know, it's the the main focus being mother and child relationship. And that's where, like, before all these things, there were a lot of, like, but groups the mothers could go to kind of nourish this relationship. But now, you know, that's all been taken away. And even on a personal level, like even between colleagues, there's this virtual screen between all of us, which may take the human kind of, you know, connection, the face-to-face. Uh, so that has been a lot of conflicts, you know, I've been observed across the teams. Uh But most importantly, I think in terms of relationship, the one thing I would like, you know, that raise awareness or people to be, thinking about or about these school children when the schools are all closed and if they are in an abusive family how would that impact on them and also between the couples in terms of uh, there has been some positive that they were talking about lockdown babies and some couples going more closer Uh, that could be one end of the spectrum but the most End of the spectrum being if there's been already domestic violence then that's been kind of uh, exacerbated by this pandemic I would say
0: And so for women who are pregnant, I think there's been quite a lot of talk in the media about this but um, obviously the pandemic has affected the care that they have received um, in general from maternity services and I would imagine perhaps from perinatal services as well uh Liz, did you were you able to say anything on that for us?
2: Absolutely. It's huge uncertainty and huge anxiety around all of this and it's affecting women without a mental health a history of mental health problems as well as those that we uh, see more often in clinic who are experiencing poor mental health. Um in terms of their care, women have had to rapidly adapt to changing guidelines, um, but with, you know, virtual mental health reviews often being the norm for, you know, all but the highest risk of patients, particularly in those early days when there was a lot of uh, or reduced understanding compared to now. Um, Also, in terms of physical health, um, partners and other carers being restricted from attending routine appointments and scans. And that includes sort of some you know invasive and distressing procedures such as amniocentesis. We had a patient in that um situation who was very distressed that her partner wasn't able to attend with her. We also had women who when it came to the birth, uh and it's still happening now, it's very variable um the amount of contact that partners can have. Um we had a particular patient who'd had serious history of trauma and the actual birth itself was likely to trigger some of those um difficult feelings and we had a battle on our hands getting the partner um the ability to access that birth um so you know all of these situations obviously throw up a lot of anxiety um for all women but particularly those who make perhaps more vulnerable to mental health um relapse postnatally again um obviously the this sense of isolation where women particularly first-time mums who are very vulnerable particularly you know more vulnerable and perhaps rely on um, increased contact and social connections or we're in a situation where people associate distance and so that obviously impacts on women's mental health as well so lots of things uh, that women have had to get on board with in terms of their care changing and in terms of the guidelines the Royal, Royal College of obstetricians rapidly, you know, uh, regularly update their guidelines, which are excellent. I would refer any listeners particularly um, to their guidelines of COVID infection in pregnancy. As our understanding sort of expands, these guidelines are being updated. But in the meantime, the reality is um, whilst people are trying to be as clear as possible, it will be a long time before we really understand the kind of longitudinal effects of the pandemic, and that includes, you know, children conceived during it. Um, now with the vaccine, um, mixed messages around that, which um, has also raised anxiety in some women, as they, particularly those women who work in healthcare settings, for instance, who are at a higher risk. So whilst the guidelines are attempting to be clear, obviously um, we do have limited knowledge. So uh, we have to sort of try and balance this um, in day to day practice with women and try to um, reassure as much as we possibly can, given the circumstances.
0: Thanks, Liz. And Mano, I was wondering what are the main kind of impacts that you have seen for women who are pregnant and, you know, how has it affected their mental well-being over the last nine, ten months or so?
1: Yeah, I think it has done, you know, in a number of ways, basically. So as like, you know, for example, people who had anxiety or low mood, like, you know, that's kind of increased. It increases their anxiety. And many women, they do have like, you know, fear of childbirth, which we call a stochophobia. And one way of, you know, addressing that would be taking them on a tour of the labor board and, you know, but all these restrictions and change in the birth plan. Women do lose their sense of control quite commonly during pregnancy, which is quite natural, but that's been exaggerated because of this pandemic and lockdown and also fear of contracting illness so people with health anxiety their anxiety has just gone high and also this neurocovid group they were doing some research into organic illness like schizophrenia bipolar if there's been increase yes there's been an increase in you know especially like in the beginning of pandemic i think uh the risk of relapses was quite high due to number of factors And uh, I think we would have described in our uh, paper about one of the case history we saw of a woman with a bipolar illness who was at a high risk of postnatal relapse. But, you know, that was in the beginning of pandemic. And then she eventually tested positive for COVID. So we don't know whether there was any direct relationship because of the COVID infection, the relapse could trigger at all. But one thing we could observe is between the time she got admitted into the hospital and she was diagnosed she should have contracted the COVID. She, there was one day where the patient was suffering from a hypomanic relapse and traveling all over London. So those are the things that were really concerns at the beginning of the pandemic. But even now, nine, ten months, things are not any better. I would say that the referrals to the perinatal teams have been increased. There was a time when we had a deluge of referral because of what has been happening is having a wider impact. And also the way we treat these illnesses has also changed, isn't it? For example, like, you know, uh, the core bread and butter of psychiatric practices about this conversation with the patients where we could see verbal and nonverbal Close, but in the virtual layer, yes, it does help, but that has been changes like we are not able to observe the child fully, their interactions, and also how much impact it would have, have on the management of those disorders with online therapies and online everything, and also lack of the other social structures which would have contributed to the management, you know, in the normal times. So these all have, I think, the major impact, I would say, is had increase in the rate of mental illness and also with people with pre-existing mental illness increase in risk of relapse and one thing we may need to aware because we are also thinking of doing a sequel to this paper as how it is you know uh, after a year on from pandemic i would say say we, we all could predict that there may be a increase in mental illness once this is over because it 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 is a trauma. It's like a global trauma where everyone need to take prioritize self care at this point. But people with pre existing mental illness, it could have more impact on them, and uh, they may kind of trigger something that had happened in the past, like the loss and even bereavement. I think that was one of the important thing I wanted to mention. Uh, in normal times, when people kind of you know had a funeral or you know meet with family as a normal process of going through that process, now that's been restricted because of the pandemic. They could not meet with many people even to share their loss, which may have a like a kind of a long-term impact on, you know, how people, you know, and people and their mental well-being. Yes, I think that may need to be a lot of investment, I would say, into the mental health uh, needs of the population when the pandemic is about to be over or, you know, nearer to the times.
0: Thanks Manu. And you mentioned a few things there, like the loss of sort of social structures, um the social support for women. Do you have you noticed anything specific for women in that postnatal period or, or women um who may be, you know, looking after a young baby for the first time? Anything specific you've noticed in those situations?
1: Yes, absolutely. As I said, like, you know, the risk of relapse in the postnatal period could increase. The main reason being, like, you know, we would have, for example, like, you know, we have a pre-birth planning meeting when they are about 28 to 32 weeks. And we kind of formulate a plan saying, OK, and many of that would be social in addition to medication and psychological therapies. Like, for example, attend this baby group or go for, you know, having a family around. Even that's been impacted now. Like, you know, for in many cultures, having family in the postnatal period is such important care for the women so that you know but that's been now taken away because of the pandemic they could not bring many people so they they that would impact on their child care it would impact on their sleep so it may be they may be there for example if they are single parent and if they are not able to have someone else because of you know whatever is happening maybe their parents are shielding somewhere you know so the thing is they have to they are put in a position that they have to care for this newborn baby on top of their mental illness in the night and their sleep gets disturbed and as we all know, disruption of sleep is a very important factor that could lead to a lot of relapses so uh, in terms of postnatal years there's been increase in postnatal depression there's been an increased rate of relapse and uh, even the mother and baby interaction as I said like you know the other way of other help that mother would have received if not for the pandemic it's kind of you know the services were being disturbed so all this uh or the impact we are seeing in the postnatal period
0: thank you mano one of the things that you mentioned there was a little bit about remote working in your team and how that might be impacting on the care that women receive and uh, liz did you have anything to add on that
2: yeah thanks Jen. um so much to say about this effect and also the effect on patients obviously we rely on perinatal psychiatry and excellent communication skills and the uh, observation assessment of women in their most sort of vulnerable period potentially in their lives um, with the impact of sort of virtual working we found immediately in terms of our service that destabilizing effect of that in terms of not having the face-to-face contact with our colleagues. So that anxiety was the first thing that we needed to think about containing so that it didn't start to affect on patient care. But of course, then we started to see as the pandemic progressed that people were being deployed to other services, the effect of that on our service, loss of community services. So, you know, reduction of um, an ability to signpost women or to access, for instance, psychological care. we then had the issues where you know we find ourselves in a situation of uh, doing telephone or uh, team teams reviews, and obviously uh, you know with the best will in the world, that will never be as good as seeing a patient face to face. That was the challenge that we set, and it and it meant that there was obviously going to be an impact on our ability as professionals to sort of identify and support women. Um, you know, particularly with regards to things like observing mother and infant relationship. Um, also, any concerns for the baby, physical concerns for mother or baby, you know, looking out for signs of domestic violence, substance misuse and thinking about safeguarding. All of these things are much more difficult to achieve in a virtual medium. So that came up a lot. Um, and then, you know, uh, closer to home and in, in for those... Uh, patients who really did require a face-to-face of course we were facilitating that where it was necessary in emergency cases but there were concerns early on with getting um, enough PPE so that impacted on staff anxiety and then um, for those uh, staff that actually found themselves in the position of being essential workers and also pregnant themselves there was this dilemma with, you know, going back to what I was saying before about the guidelines necessarily having to adapt to the, you know, rapidly changing circumstances. There were dilemmas there about um, whether they should be shielding or not, um, going to work or not. And now, again, um, we're, we're in the situation of women, should they be getting a vaccine or not? So the uncertainty, the anxiety, all of this, but also our ability to diagnose and treat women. And our anxiety is that potentially women uh you know are being missed uh also if they can't access things like um correct technology that might allow them to be assessed so we could see how the kind of gap in care may may be growing um in that way sort of amplifying pre-existing health inequalities so lots of way that's impacted the care of women but also services
0: and do you think it's also had an effect on inpatient services and inpatient admissions for example to mother and baby units?
2: Yeah absolutely I mean um, I think that the main takeaway there is again um, that didn't appear to be at least early on any uh, you know solid guideline in terms of it seemed to be on a service by service uh, discretion, if you like, so different services would have different thresholds and in terms of admitting uh, women who may have been exposed to um infection and things like this, so obviously different services will will have uh, you know different facilities and you know this disparity of care then is is further amplified um so we found ourselves because of pressure on beds anyway in services um already very sought after and uh, uh, mother and baby beds became even more difficult to secure for our women Um, so that obviously has a huge impact.
0: Thanks Liz. So I mean obviously we've been battling the Covid pandemic since sort of the start of last year now but Mano I was wondering what you think might be needed moving forward and how you things might change during 2021. Yes, you are
1: very right and spot on. Like, you know, things still remain to be uncertain and uh, we're still in the thick of it. So, yeah, I think when things, uh, depending upon how the pandemic progress, but one important thing I think we have talked about in our paper, too, is that there need to be long term investment into mental health services because of various things that has happened and maybe sometimes people are more in a kind of a firefighting mode or a survival mode currently, both patients and healthcare professionals trying to face the reality as it rapidly changes. But there may need to be a lot of processing about these events when things settle. And as you know, like, you know, with any trauma, when we are in the thick of it, things may not come out of it because of our, we will be in the fight and flight mode. But when it is settles, that's, that's then all the post-traumatic stress disorder or whatever trauma-related illness starts. And this pandemic is definitely a big trauma on all of us, and especially people with mental illness, and especially those vulnerable group, people in that perinatal period, who not only had to care for themselves, but also about their children or their infant and the future, you know, or generation. So, uh, there need to be a lot of, uh, investment into the mental health services, because there may be a lot of uh, increase in the mental illness once, you know, we are out of it. And also we have to think about the impact of long COVID, like, you know, people are talking about long COVID, there's a lot of research being done in it. But what about the psychological component of long COVID? That has an impact on them, like an emotional impact. And and the most importantly, one thing we need to think about is this financial impact. Many people have lost job. It cannot be underestimated. Many people don't know how their future is going to be. Many people have lost contact with their friends and family and many people have been isolated. So these are the real things that we may see. Like, you know, when the pandemics over the small, for example, there are small businesses which have been closed or gone to administration. So when the pandemic is over, what's going to be the future for these people? Are they all going to be reopened or they? going to be given some you know how would they recover from this economic impact of whatever happened and that would directly or indirectly have an impact on their relationship and on their uh, you know mental illness. so these are the things that we need to definitely consider and we were also talking about the epigenetic issues in our you know which is a very really small you know thing about how they influence a pandemic. They found that, you know, there was an increased proportion of people affected by schizophrenia of kids born around that time. We don't know what's the relationship there, but that's something epigenetics, which we need to be considered in terms of service planning. And we also talked about the changes in the service provision and service planning. I think all these healthcare professionals may need to go through a special form of training or kind of adoption because they're rapidly adopted to this changing landscape of virtual reality but then when this is over they have to go back to their imagined or in a real you know scenario so how they are going to kind of you know go under a lot of people redeployed and people trainees who lost training number and stuff like that so quite a lot to think about but I think one thing the common theme for all of this seems to be investing more and more on mental building of the population as such would be the you know one of the basically could
0: handle it. Thanks Mano. and we're coming towards the end of our time today but I wondered if either of you had any final comments or sort of take-home messages for the listeners?
2: Yeah I think Mano sort of summed things up really well there. I suppose it's just sort of the idea of of our, of the paper and collating all our thoughts in a paper was that we might be able to sort of share this and start some discussion and I think that's why we're also doing this podcast I think it's about just being really aware of all these different from all different angles of the effect of what's happening now on our patients and on each other and our staff and thinking about also well-being of teams because as things go forward I think you know it's clear that there are going to be some really challenging times ahead, hugely complex, complex sort of risk benefit decisions about admitting women at the minute when the infections rates are so high. Um, and, and, uh, as, I, as I've mentioned, you know, going forward, these anxieties that we're having to address with women about shielding, not shielding, vaccine, no vaccine. And as things go forward and those things settle down, as Manny said, I think, some of the trauma of all of this uncertainty and all of these difficult decisions will start to play out in our patients and in in those of us who work in the field. So we, it's, you know, it's really imperative that we think now broadly about how we can try and mitigate that by thinking about service planning and thinking about, um, you know, training um, and adequately staffing services. Um, thinking about also taking the positives, um, of what we've learned about virtual working, because there have been some. Um, one of the things we noticed was a, was a lower, um, DNA rate. So that's been one positive thing. And I think, you know, there are things that we could draw upon, um, that we might be able to use to have a more flexible approach to supporting women to get the best care if these things perhaps uh, lend themselves uh, to some women. So it's about adapting care, really, and and taking what we've learned and applying that on an individual patient basis. And I think, you know, if we do all of
1: that, then really positive things can come out of it. Yeah, I absolutely agree with Liz. And I think uh, that's very true, isn't it? Like, you know, thinking about how, like you know, it's more about investing in human factors and investing in about how we could improve the well-being of both of the workforce and, you know, the population. I think that's a big, that's a big task actually ahead in, uh, for all the leaders, healthcare leaders. It, it is a big task actually, I think, to be thinking about because this is something that has happened. We, we've not seen in our lifetime anything as dramatic to this proportion, most of us. So uh, this is a big challenge when it all over, like it's about getting the whole population, even this school children getting adopted back to, you know, their normal school life. It's it's all going on, all the parents, their work and uh, everything. So it's going to be a big, uh, huge challenge. But I think it's quite positive that we are all in this together and we are started, already started thinking about how it could be, in, especially in terms of perinatal for example, We are you know, there's been a lot of work, the faculty is also doing. And uh, Liz mentioned about healthy teams. I think that's very crucial because... I did observe that, you know, with the pandemic, the stress could have had a lot of the conflicting situation within the teams increased around that time, which I think could be addressed and stuff like that. But come out of the pandemic, to think about, I think all our ways of working or our mindset is going to be different and about adopting to the new reality, isn't it? So I think that would be loads of change. Uh, as with any change, when we are in the thick of it, It's quite difficult. But once we come out of it, then we could reflect and say, wow, we have survived or we've thrived, you know, during, and that could be something, I think, to end on a positive note, I would say that, you know, we all should be really proud of ourselves for being able to thrive, you know, even, even getting on each day by day is a big achievement in these scenarios. So if we are all able to make to the other end, that that would be, like you know, and also we would perhaps take loads of lessons about unpredictability of life and the power of human connection and how much we kind of took for granted before all this happened. And that would be something uh, So to end on a positive note, like, you know, to be happy or to be proud of, OK, we've survived it. <laughs> well,
0: thank you both so much for coming on thank the you. podcast. And it was nice to finish on some positive notes as well. So I was talking to Dr. Liz Rose and Dr. Mano and there, um, and they mentioned uh, their paper, which, um, full disclosure, also has my name on the end of it, um, which was published in the BJ Psych Advances, was it a couple of months ago? What? Yes,
1: yeah.
0: A couple of one. months ago. Um, so yeah, thank you again for coming on thank the you. podcast. And um, just a reminder to anyone who is a subscriber to CPD online, you can complete the um, short test for this podcast um, and then you can uh, download some CPD points.